Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from 1 Kings chapter 19. I'll be reading beginning with verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and also more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I hope you'll keep your Bibles open and turn with me to the Psalm 42 that we have just sung. And as you're finding that psalm in your Bibles or on your mobile device, I wanted to tell you a quick story. This past uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and returning on Saturday morning, we had uh, 12 Oakmonters who went to the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship General Assembly meeting in our own home state of North Carolina in the city of Greensboro. So included in that number was Joshua Brazil and Carol Brown, Steve Harding and Nancy Huggins, Michael and Donna McKnight, Carol Swan, Jim Watts, and then my wife Leslie and me. And also included in that number were uh, Oakmont members Pam Strickland and Helen Joyner who were running a display uh, at the exhibit uh, center for the Eastern North Carolina Stop Human Trafficking Now. So there were 12 Oakmonters that were there among three or 4,000 Baptists from multiple states around the country. I co-led a ministry workshop on Thursday afternoon, and there was a lady who attended that workshop, and she spoke to me afterwards on Thursday afternoon, and then Thursday evening after the worship time, I just happened, and there were several, several thousand people in the room for worship, and I just happened to run into her again uh, with her mom and dad, who now live in Whiteville, North Carolina. This young lady's name is Laura Center, S-E-N-T-E-R. And Laura is a chaplain at a medical center in Everett, Washington, Washington State, which is north of Seattle. She told me after the workshop that I led and also after worship that night, she went into a little more detail. She started out at Campbell University and then decided that she wanted to be a nurse, so she transferred to East Carolina University. Got her nursing degree, served as a nurse for a season of time, and then went to Divinity School at Gardner-Webb 
Divinity School here in North Carolina, decided that God was calling her to be a chaplain. So she did a chaplain residency at New Hanover, New Hanover Medical Center down towards Wilmington and has been out in Washington State ever since. But this is what I want you to hear about her story. She graduated from East Carolina in 1995. And when she came here to Greenville, she went to another church and attended for a long time. And she told me that no one really ever spoke to her, never reached out to her, never made her feel welcome. And one Sunday in the early to mid-1990s, she decided to come to Oakmont Baptist Church. This was when we were meeting in the old sanctuary. And she said she felt an immediate warmth and welcome from this congregation. She got involved in the college ministry on campus, the Baptist campus ministry, here at East Carolina and, and stayed involved in our own college ministry. And she said, I just want you to tell your congregation that I was at a very deep and dark place in my spiritual life when I was here at East Carolina. And your congregation, Oakmont, and the campus ministry at East Carolina were my lifelines. And if it hadn't been for your church, I don't know what I might have done or what might have become of me. So I'm deeply grateful. And I told her I would come back and tell you that story. And this is what I want you to understand. You know, when you make a difference in somebody's life, and especially in their student years, middle school, high school, college years, young adult years, sometimes the investment that we make in people doesn't necessarily come back and have a return for us. There's been countless people that we've made a difference in their lives, and they're serving in churches and in other locations all around our world. And by the same token, we have a lot of people who are leaders in this congregation today. And they were nurtured in another youth ministry at middle school, high school. They were nurtured on a college campus and a student ministry there. And you had absolutely nothing to do with it. You didn't invest one dollar or one bit of time in their life and yet today, they are blessing this congregation and serving. So do you understand why it's so important that we not look at things about what's best for us? We have to not have a local church perspective. We have to have a kingdom perspective. Understanding that God uses us in many different ways. And there may be seasons in our life where we touch a person's life and God's intention is not for that person to bless us here at Oakmont but to go on and serve elsewhere and Laura Center is one of those people and I wanted you to know that she is grateful and I also want you to know that I'm proud of you and I commend you for being that kind of congregation well let's look in Psalm 42 Many scholars believe that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 were actually originally one psalm together. You'll notice that there are not some instructions in Psalm 42 for the director of music. You see those musical instructions? We've said the psalms were often uh, set to music and sung in temple worship and in the worship of the people in the synagogues later on. But you notice Psalm 43 doesn't have any instructions. And there are a lot of people who think that the two psalms belong together originally. As I read Psalm 42, I want you to notice those places of deep 
dark hopelessness, a lot of depression, a lot of discouragement. But I also want you to notice those places of great hopefulness, that God is a God who brings healing and wholeness into our life. Follow along with me as I read what we just sung here a minute ago. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet God, meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. May God add his blessings to the reading, to the hearing, and to the doing of his holy word. Well, I'm not going to ask you this morning to raise your hand if you have ever been depressed because I already know the answer to that question. And the reason I know the answer to that question and the answer to the question is yes, you have been depressed before in your life and I have too. The reason I know the answer to that question is because I know that all of us in this room are human beings. And human beings experience the full range of human emotion. And one of those emotions is sadness, and one of those emotions is depression. Depression, sadness, is a subject that many of us feel uncomfortable even acknowledging that it exists in our lives. But trust me, it's a real issue for people today, and it's a real issue for the people of the biblical days. People such as Elijah, that we just read about his story in 1 Kings 19. People such as the writer of Psalm 42. Many of those people who were often in biblical days debilitated by deep waves of despair and discouragement and deep, dark depression. 
Well, we see in these two texts about Elijah and the psalmist, we see the depth of Elijah's and the psalmist's depression. Here in 1 Kings 19, Elijah is the man of the hour. God has used him to confront the Baal worship of these false gods. Here are 450 prophets who have attempted to call down rain on uh, the land after a long season of drought. And it's Elijah who's able to call down the rain and to prove that Baal is a false god. And Elijah orders the slaughter, the killing, of those 450 prophets of Baal. Well, Queen Jezebel, who's the wife of King Ahab, she's the one that's been encouraging uh, Ahab to erect these altars and temples where Baal is worshipped. She suddenly now is not a happy camper because Elijah has ordered the slaughter of her 450 prophets of Baal. And so she sends word to Elijah that he's as good as a dead man for messing in her business. So Elijah flees out to the desert, and here we have this great Old Testament prophet exhibiting all of the signs, the classic signs of depression. And then we have the psalmist. We've just read Psalm 42. And the psalmist's despair is so deep that three times in this psalm, he talks about or either asks the question, why is my soul so downcast within me? Why so disturbed within me? Three times the psalmist either makes that statement or asks that question about his deep, dark depression. Well, what are some of the signs of depression? Well, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, there are a number of things that you might be looking for in yourself or in others to determine whether or not maybe depression is existent. And I want to put some of those things on the screen for a moment and match some of the scripture from 1 Kings 19 and Psalm 42 to help you see how these biblical characters dealt with depression. The first uh, sign of depression, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, is a persistent sadness and anxiety, restlessness, and irritability. The text says in 1 Kings, Elijah was afraid. There's that sadness, that anxiety, that restlessness, and he ran for his life. And then the psalmist writes, why so disturbed within me? That, that sadness, that anxiety. The next one, a feeling of hopelessness, helplessness, and pessimism. Elijah said, I've had enough, Lord. Not very hopeful sounding, is it? And then the psalmist says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? That doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? Doesn't sound, sound sort of helpless. The next uh, sign of depression, a loss of interest in pleasures or in activities that once were enjoyed. The text says about Elijah that when he came to Beersheba, he left his servant there. He's not even interested in being around someone who formerly has been very faithful to him. He just left him behind. And then the psalmist writes, these things I remember. Now, he, he's recalling the time when he used to regularly come to worship at the temple. 
These things I remember how I used, formerly, used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God. A, a loss of interest of the things that you once found meaningful in your life. Next sign of depression, decreased energy and fatigue. It says of Elijah in 1 Kings, he came to a broom tree, he sat down under it, he ate and drank, and then he lay down again. Doesn't have a lot of energy. Doesn't have a lot of vitality going on. And then look what the psalmist writes. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taught me. Just this, this uh, sense of fatigue. Even my bones feel like that they're, they're worthless to me. Then the next uh, sign, difficulty concentrating and making decisions. Elijah says, I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Now, he, he's not really making good decisions and thinking well, because God's going to show him a little bit later that there are hundreds more who are still left who are faithful to Elijah. And then the psalmist asks the question, where can I go and meet with God? The psalmist just said a few minutes before that he remembered the time when he used to go up to the temple to worship. And now he's asking the question, where can I go and meet with God? He can't make and process good decisions because of his depression. Next, next sign of depression, insomnia or oversleeping. It says of Elijah, then he lay down under a tree and he fell asleep. And the psalmist writes, by day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. Well, how is the psalmist aware of all these things day and night? Probably because he's so depressed at times that he's having trouble sleeping. And then the next sign of depression, loss of appetite and weight or overeating and weight gain. Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate. And drank. Many times people who are depressed just either don't have an interest in eating or they eat too much or drink too much. And then the uh, writer of the Psalms says, my tears have been my food day and night. Not a lot of eating of food, a lot of eating of tears. And, and finally, uh, the last sign of depression is suicidal thoughts or attempts. It said of Elijah, he prayed that he might die. He prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Signs of suicidal thoughts or, or attempts. And, and then the psalmist asks the question, why must I go mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Now, the psalmist isn't at the point of thinking about suicide, but if you ask the question, how much longer can I stand this? How much longer can I deal with this grief, with this mourning? Often the next step is, well, I want to get away from the pain. Maybe I'll take my life. That's some of the signs of, of depression. What are some of the statistics that surround depression? So let me put a few of the statistics on the screen for you. Globally, 350 million people suffer with depression. Now, we got about 6 to 7 billion people in the world. 350 million people suffer uh, or are affected by depression. The next 
statistic, about 60 million people in America, 20.8% of the population will suffer depressive illness or mood disorder at some point in their life. Next one, please. Women are 70% more likely to experience depression than men. Next one, please. Uh, a major depressive disorder is the leading cause of disability in the United States for people ages 15 to 44. 11% of adolescents will have a depressive disorder by the age of 18. 30% of college students report feeling depressed, which disrupted their ability to function effectively in school. And finally, suicide is the second leading cause of death for persons ages 10 through 24. Why is that the case? Because of so much depression that people have in their lives. Well, what are some of the different types of depression? Let me put a few of these things on the screen for you. First of all, one type of depression is what we call normal depression. Have you ever gotten up in the morning and you just... You're not, you don't know why. Everything's going great. Everything's going smooth. You have no reason to feel down or blue. But you just get up in the morning. You say, you know, I just feel kind of blue today. So, so, something just doesn't feel right. Now, do you know why that happens to you? Here's why it happens. Because you're a human being. Okay? They're just some things that happen to us at times. There are no good reasons for why they happen. It's part of the human condition. Every once in a while, we just wake up and we have a little sense of feeling blue for the day and it's normal and it's natural. Don't worry about it. Part of being a human being. Another, another type of depression is what we call grief depression. Now, there was a lady by the name of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She died in 2004 and she did a lot of study on grief and the different stages that we grieve when death occurs. So when death happens, there is often that sense of shock and denial. And often there is bargaining that takes place with God or with others or ourselves. And there is anger that gets kicked up. And there is often depression that happens. And finally, we move to a point of coming to some measure of acceptance. And all those things I just named don't happen in nice, neat, linear, orderly fashion. They're, it's very organic. And, you know, you feel depressed one day and angry the next, and you feel accepting of what's happened the next day, and then you're all angry and upset, and then you can't believe it's happened again. That's the nature of grief. And grief happens to us not only when someone dies, but it can happen to us when there is when there's a separation or a divorce or you lose a job or you have a child who goes off to college for the first time and there's that sense of loss and you feel this sense of depression that happens to you. I remember when our son Philip went off to kindergarten. I knew you'd laugh when I told you that. And for the first six weeks that he went off to kindergarten, I, I just felt this sense of depression. And I remember complaining, you know, public kindergarten, you know, they go early and they stay to like 2 or 2.30. And I remember just complaining because why do they have these small children in the public schools staying all the way to 2 o'clock in the afternoon? 
Children that young don't need to be in school all day long. And I finally figured out why I was feeling depressed. Because lots of days before Philip went off to kindergarten, I'd come home in the middle of the day and I'd eat lunch and I'd see him. And suddenly I was coming home in the middle of the day and he wasn't there. And it was a loss. And you know, all losses must be grieved. And grief includes depression. See? And I remember feeling the same way when my kids went off to college. Fortunately, it didn't last too long. Uh, I got over it. I uh, got over and, you know, got accustomed to the empty desk. But, but those first several weeks, I just remember feeling down. And you ever felt that way? Some of you who had your kids to go away and, and it's like, what's going on with me? So it, it's not unusual to feel that sense of, of depression in, in the context of grief. Uh, another type of depression is what we might call situational depression. You know, you had hoped for a new job or a salary increase and it didn't happen. Or you're feeling burned out from doing something over and over and over and over and over and over again. You know what a good definition of burned out is? I heard this years ago that being burned out is the disease of the overcommitted. Disease of the overcommitted. Or maybe there was an illness in your family. Or you took on an unexpected debt. And it's a situational time in your life where you feel frustrated and then you maybe feel angry and ticked off about things. And when you turn anger inward, did you know that? It becomes depression. You ever heard that before? A, a good question to ask yourself when you become depressed is at whom or at what am I feeling angry? Because anger is the emotion that often gets turned inward and drives the depression. So, situational depression. And then finally, clinical depression. Now, clinical depression, um, for instance, major depressive disorder. Do you know that affects 17% of Americans? Some people struggle with bipolar or manic depressive, and there's a component of depression with that. There are many people who feel this depressive sadness for years. They'll report it for feeling that way for years in their life. And they, they need the help of a capable therapist or psychiatrist or maybe even some prescribed medication. So what, what are we going to do about these feelings of depression and, and how do we combat them? What are some of the resources that God places around us that brings healing and wellness into our lives? Well, let me put three things on the screen that I want you to be thinking about. The first thing that God gives us is he gives us, he, he sends angels into our lives. And we have to ask for some help. For God to send angels. That, that's what he did in, in Elijah's life. He sent an angel who ministered to Elijah and brought some healing and wellness back into his life. And, and this is what I want you to hear this morning. There is no shame. There is no shame in asking for help from a therapist, from a doctor, from a pastor, from a teacher, from a friend, from a family member. There's no shame in using prescribed medication 
to help with depression. God sent that angel to Elijah. The psalmist reaches out for help to God himself. So you see friends and pastors and other ministers and teachers and therapists, medication are all angels that God brings into our lives to help promote healing and wellness. And I, and I want you to hear this. I'm going to say it one more time. There is no shame in asking for help. If you were having all of the classic signs of a heart attack, would you sit back and say, well, you know, I think I can cover this myself? Would you do that? If you had just been diagnosed with cancer, would you just sit back and say, you know, I don't need to go see that oncologist. I think I can take care of this cancer myself. You cut your finger and you need one of those Band-Aids that Amy Andrews had out of the, uh, the little first aid kit. And you're bleeding pretty profusely, but you know, I don't need to call uh, 911. I, I can handle this bleeding myself. Why is it that we think that when issues of the soul and the heart and the mind come into play, that we can handle those things ourselves? And that we don't need to ask for help. I think that's the first thing that Elijah and the psalmist did. They cried out to God. They reached out to others and they asked for help. The second thing, and I think this is part of the asking for help, is prayer and the Bible. Boy, you read the psalmist and from the get-go, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for you, O God. And the psalmist just goes through reaching out to God in prayer. And Elijah cried out to God, I've had enough, God. Take my life. I can't take it anymore. At least Elijah and the psalmist are staying in touch with God. And I think as we stay in touch with God through prayer, through his word, we see we're not the only ones who have ever suffered from depression, the people of the biblical days, and there are people around us. And as we read his word and as we pray to God, we get this inner strength that we often need to meet it. And then finally, the last thing that I would hold up to you is I think that when we're going through anything, any issue, but certainly when we go through a time of despair and depression, I think staying in community, staying connected to the people of God and the church is so important. A lot of people want to run away when they get into trouble. And you know, that's what happened to Elijah. He, he went out to the desert, wanted to be by himself, wanted to give up life. And yet God came to him in that desert and recommissioned him for a new work. The psalmist remembers that time when he was connected to the temple worship, how he used to lead the processional, he writes. And he understands the strength that you find when you stay connected to a community of faith and a community of family and a community of friends. And folks, let me tell you, the one thing that people want to do when they get into trouble is they don't want to be seen and they want to flee. And I want to encourage you this morning to stay connected to your church and stay connected to your family and stay connected to your friends. Folks, we've not been honest with each other about depression. We've seen it as a sign of weakness. If I was just a little stronger, I could handle this. We've swept it under the rug. 
We've pretended that it doesn't exist when in fact depression is the worst kept secret with which we all struggle at some point in our lives. It's the elephant in the room. I think it's time to normalize it. I think it's time to legitimize it. It's time to face it. It's time to treat it with all of the resources that God puts at our disposal, with all of the angels that God sends in our direction. So you know if Elijah and the psalmist with God's help could face it, I think you and I can as well. I want to invite you to join me in a moment of prayer. With every head bowed and all eyes closed, Who's the person who's coming into your mind right this very moment? You see the face, you know the name. The person that God's inviting you to pray for right this second that suffers from depression. That person could be yourself. And it's okay to pray for yourself. But I just want you to take a moment and ask God to send forth the blessing of the Holy Spirit and the healing that comes from that Spirit into that person's life or into your life. To ask God for the strength to deal with that depression and to reach out and to use all the resources that God puts at our disposal to bring that healing. Would you take just a moment and pray? As the deer pants for streams of water, so our souls long for you, O God. Fill us this day, God, with your love, with your peace, with a sense of hopefulness and joy. And remind us that regardless of what we face, even if it is those deep and dark days of depression, remind us, God, that you do not leave us alone that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Hear our collective prayer in the name of the living God and even Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to sing out of the hymnal this morning, The Solid Rock, hymn number 526. And as we sing the hymn together, if there is someone this morning who has never begun that journey of following Christ, and you want to be a Jesus follower, you want to profess Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning, I hope you'll move from where you'll be standing to sing and come and share that good decision with me or maybe later after the service to let me know that you want to talk more about what that journey might look like. It may be that you've been through our membership class, Oakmont 101, and you're ready now to become a part of the Oakmont Church family. And I would love to receive and hear that decision today as well. You know, I mentioned to you that one of the resources of our faith is prayer. And maybe you want to go back to the prayer stations and write a prayer, leave a prayer request. And I think you hear me say this countless times, our ministers every Monday morning, we pray for those issues and needs that you leave for us. And we try to be faithful in, in remembering 
you and others in our community and our world. So feel free to go back to the prayer stations to leave a request to pray with one of our ministers. So as God's Spirit leads you, I hope you'll respond. Let's stand together. Let's sing our hymn.